0: Hey there, you're listening to Deadhead Girl Talk, the podcast where women talk about the Grateful Dead and other topics. I'm your host, Steph Terrace, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and today I'm talking to Sue Weber, who's another Deadhead here in Michigan. Sue and her husband, Dave, have been going to shows since before I ever discovered the Grateful Dead. And in fact, Sue and Dave have known my husband, Jeff, since before I ever met Jeff. But the way that I learned about Sue and Dave was when Jeff told me stories of going to shows at Alpine Valley in Wisconsin, and I think it was that you were camping, and you set up your camp next to Jeff's group of friends, and you guys got to know each other, but there was no like planning for the future. And then the next time you went to Alpine Valley, you set up your camps next to each other and just by chance and realized that you knew each other already and that you were all from Ann Arbor. Is that correct, Sue? Is that how you remember it?
1: That absolutely is. Now, I think I was only at that first time when we met Jeff and my husband had gone to, it must have been Alpine Valley, 1986. Ah. I was camping there. Unfortunately, I was back being a nurse and being far too responsible instead of going to as many shows as I wanted. But we met your husband there. That that Al- Alpine Valley was so much fun in the '80s with all the shows there with the Dead, and it was so great all the people you met there. And you know, good old Meadowlark Acres, which was a little private campground near the venue, would fill up with Deadheads, and the folks that owned it were very tolerant and very nice. And it was just great because you would meet all these people, and then the best thing was the nice lady that owned it had this large homemade donut machine and so in the morning we would all be exhausted and tired and we'd stagger over and stand in line for these 10 cent freshly made donuts so
0: oh my gosh that sounds wonderful oh
1: it was just it was a great place those those 19 like I say the 1980s Alpine Valley shows were all just so much
0: fun now were you and Dave tent campers or how did you we Chaos. we
1: were we were tent campers up there, you know. Depending on what the show was in the venue, we would we would go through. But there wasn't any parking lot camping at that point in uh, at least at Alpine Valley. So we would hit the little uh, the good old Meadowlark Acres and do our tent camping.
0: Was it a forest or just like an open field or?
1: Just an open field surrounded by cornfields. It, ah. it was very Wisconsin, very flat, <laughs> very cornfields, but just a, uh, just a delightful place. And the, uh, the, the vibe there was always wonderful because it really was filled with nothing but dead heads on those, during those show weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. That does sound like great memories. So let's back up a little. And why don't you tell me a little about how you discovered the Grateful Dead?
1: Well, I first got into the dead when I was in high school and I, I'd been vaguely aware that there was, you know, I, I was listening to a lot of Almond Brothers and a lot of British invasion bands at that time. I had siblings that were 10 and 12 years older than me, so they had gotten me into the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And then I started, you know, hearing a little bit of the different music, again, got into Almond Brothers and some of those. And then back in... 70 must have been 77 or 78 the local detroit album oriented rock station good old wabx started playing um some cuts from terrapin station including dancing in the streets which of course in the in the detroit area was a big hit yeah and so i went out and got the album started listening to it and said wow i really like this music And then a couple years later, I headed up to college at Michigan State and became friends with someone that had come out from New Jersey and was very much into the Grateful Dead. And that's when I realized, okay, this album music may be good, but it's the live shows that really matter. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so he started giving me tapes and I started getting into the live shows and then my very first experience was, again, good old Alpine Valley, headed there in August of 1982, and had left, this was would have been the summer, I think, between my junior and senior year in college, and we crammed four of us into a VW Rabbit and headed off down the road, and we're headed to two shows, so they were, they were doing a two-night run at that point, And it was a great time, although we had just gotten through Chicago when all of a sudden I realized my tickets were sitting on the top of my dresser in my dorm room. Oh, no, (laughs) which needless to say, led to a few moments of panic. Now, luckily, everything all worked out those were the days when you could go up to a show and there were still plenty of lawn tickets at the window so ended up not eating a whole lot that weekend but at least got into the shows and because you uh, had
0: to use your money to buy your tickets again
1: exactly so rebought those you know and of course these we were all broke college students but uh, you know everybody sort of pitched in and helped everybody else out and I was absolutely sold. It's it's funny, the first song they played that night was The Music Never Stopped. Mm. And for me, that's almost been prophetic, because it really, in my life and in my listening habits, has never stopped since then. So,
0: Can you tell yeah. me a little about what you were hearing, even maybe going back to those first albums or first tapes that you know, what What did it do to you that pulled you in and made you say, this is how I want to spend some of my, you know, listening and music time?
1: You know, I think the listening first to the albums, it was just good rock and roll. And I enjoyed some of the extending jamming, a little of which is on, on say, the Europe 72 albums. But it was the live experience that drew me in. The feeling of community there just knocked my socks off i was i was just amazed that basically you could strike up a conversation with anybody everybody was smiling you know i was just that walking around and and meeting up with people that were all there for the same reason with the same mindset and enjoying that same incredible music Mm -hmm. so again it's just it's it went back to that feeling of community that just sort of brought me in and gave me a big figurative hug from that very first show onwards that uh, it did not take much more than that first couple of shows and from then on at least until 1995 my vacation time was basically geared around how many shows i can get to
0: (laughs) and how many would be typical for you in a tour
1: you know, unfortunately, never as many as I wanted to.
0: <laughs> well, I, think I would, true,
1: I would get to just, oh, that's it, you know, between, like I say, in, in hindsight, I'm not sure prioritizing some of my schooling and work was the right thing to do, but uh, but I would at least get to, you know, four or five shows a tour. I never did a full tour, which mm-hmm. i had always wanted to do, and I never got to any West Coast shows, you know, mm. being... Being Midwest-centered, we had one run of shows in my hometown, Ann Arbor, in 1989, and a couple in the Detroit area at Pine Knob. But other than that, it was always traveling. Uh-huh. So it wasn't, you know, I always envied those those East Coast folks where they could hit a half a dozen shows within, you know, an hour and a half or two hours driving of where they were. But uh, but as many shows as I could get in, I would
0: And you, so you did that for the next few years until you met Dave, right?
1: I did. I did. I met that was, so that was about three years um, Mm -hmm. until summer tour 1985, which will always be near and dear to me as my favorite tour. Um, I was going to four shows and interestingly, I was again with the same folks that I'd been with in 1982, crammed into that same little white VW rabbit. And we headed up to Alpine Valley yet again. And I had met this guy when I was on graduation day from nursing school back in 1983. He was the brother of a friend of mine, was introduced to him, didn't talk to him, never thought of thing about him again. And I'm traipsing across the Alpine Valley parking lot doing my smiling at everybody who goes along. And I see this guy headed towards me and I think, he looks very familiar. And all of a sudden he's waving and saying, hi, Sue. And I realized it was my nursing school friend's brother, could not remember his name for the life of me, (laughs) but had a delightful conversation with him, even though I was, shall we say, a little bit on another planet at that point, but for some reason managed to have this wonderful 10 or 15 minute conversation with him. We both went on our ways. And two nights later, I was at the concert at Riverbend in Cincinnati, and he was seated right in front of me.
0: Are you kidding?
1: I am not kidding. So we just started talking and he then he had his big camera with a telephoto so he let me look through his telephoto lens to see the band. And we you know found it realized we had realized in Wisconsin we both lived in uh, in Ann Arbor and we exchanged phone numbers and almost 40 years later we are still happily together. That is such a great story. It was fun. And he it was actually, he was not actually taping at those shows, but he got into taping. So that, that became a whole other sort of aspect of being part of the Grateful Dead community was being up in the taper section. And that, yeah. I enjoyed that. Now, you know, I think I still have a little bit of a rut on my shoulder from carrying microphones into shows. But it was fun. And you know, you, you learn to dance without moving your arms at all. So you don't knock over anybody's mic stand and you learn how to clap silently and holler silently. And because oh, the dirty looks you would get from papers if you made the mistake of hollering out during a, sh- a song was no. not a good thing.
0: I know this because <laughs> I ended up <laughs> near the papers one time, and I can't control myself. And they would look at me and say "shush," and I'm like, "How can I shush at a show?"
1: That's it. It's so hard. There were there were actually shows when I would you know bid David a fond goodbye and say, "Okay, I'm moving over to the other side of the lawn so I can do a little twirling for a while." Huh? Uh-huh. and uh, but anyway that was the whole the whole taper culture was just it was fun to be around and obviously getting the uh you know being able to get the shows in what then seemed like just so quickly to get them in a week or two from other tapers or of course best of all was to have taped it yourself and be listening to it in the parking lot after the show and uh, that that those taping days were just a lot of fun
0: and how many years did you guys do taping together?
1: Let's see, I think we probably started, we, he, it was 85 we met and he wasn't taping that tour, but starting in 86, there were very few shows, boy, I, hardly any shows we attended between 86 and 95 where he didn't have a microphone up in the air.
0: Now, I know that's really more Dave's story, but since you were involved in it so much and it affected the way in which you you know experienced shows, Um, what would you say were the main reasons that you know you guys were doing taping what was it because you had the opportunity then to trade tapes or it was just a fun way to experience it
1: well for me it was I liked getting the tapes from other people and having something to trade and exchange I enjoyed the folks that were in that area even though I had to be quiet Uh Um, for Dave he's a musician and so he just for him it was just I think it was another connection to the music, a closer connection to the music. And it let him, of course, study what they were playing and study all the guitar technicalities that Jerry would get involved in. And so for him, I think it brought him a little closer to the music. For me, it was just kind of fun and another aspect of the community.
0: Yeah. I remember the first time I really understood what was up with the taping. And I thought it was just kind of mind-blowing that that was allowed, that there was the whole section set aside in order to do it. Um, I had actually gone to a Chuck Berry outdoor show when I was in college, where he walked off the stage because people were taking his picture. And so I was I... much more aware of just kind of how many musicians were so uptight about any record of their live performances. And so then to learn that, you know, this band that I loved also was so generous about that. I just thought that was incredible.
1: I think it's just such a reflection of, you know, the band's sort of ethos and the whole, you know, are, if you will, the are you kind kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, I think as they said once they're done with the music, anybody else that wanted it could have it, just that whole aspect of sharing. It was just, again, reflective of the band, reflective of the community. And it was so different from, you know, what virtually any other band was doing. It was uh, it was wonderful. Yeah. And I think that, that still to some degree keeps up today. There are still, there may not be a dedicated taper section, but there are still some folks at most venues that are able to record the music. And then, of course, now with today's modern technology, we've got all the webcasts and ha- have come a light year's distance in terms of how the uh, the technology is working with the shows.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So um, do you have any other favorite show stories that you would want to share from those years before Jerry died?
1: Oh, gosh, you know, there were so many, of course, meeting Dave and doing those was a big one. One of my personal favorites was it was, um, oh, gosh, it was the Pine Knob show. And I'm going to say 91. And I'm realizing I may be off a year. Uh, But they had played Pine Knob, which was the local Detroit Summer Pavilion venue. I think it's now called DTE Energy Theater, but will always be Pine Knob to me. And Dave was taping, and of course, the taper section tended to be right behind the soundboard, which in this case was within the pavilion. And the soundboard was marked off by round aluminum aluminum, uh, bars, and we were sitting right next to there with Dan Healy right on the other side. And of Mm -hmm. course, Dave had his stuff set up. And those two got to talking, and we spent before the show, during the break, and a bit after the break getting a chance to talk with Dan, wh- who was the Den's sound man for many, many years. Yeah. And that was just so fun. We chatted with him about it. <laughs> hate to say it, about how he would mess with Bobby. One of his things he would do was play with some of the distortion on Bobby's voice and stuff, which I know he wasn't fond of. But you know, was I, I think Dan got a kick out of and hearing the stories about it. We found amusing. Uh huh. So that was that was definitely one of my favorite ones. Was getting in with uh, with Dan. And then for me, I had fun with the, I, I didn't get to a lot of East Coast shows, but 1983 headed out to to SPAC, the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, where Dead & Company just were on Friday night.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, that was when I flew out. It was my first East Coast show. And the show itself was amazing. I think it's widely considered to be one of the best Scarlet Begonia's Fire on the Mountains ever played. And the crowd was huge it was one of the first times i really felt the crowd was big and there wasn't a lot of wide room on the the lawn for dancing but that just sort of added to the experience and and it was just fun being in that big sort of east coast crowd which which i can't speak to west coast shows but i think there's a bit of a different was a di- bit of a different feel between the midwest shows and the east coast shows i think there was just something a little more intense about the East coast crowds and shows and not necessarily in a bad way, mm-hmm. but I think the, the Midwest ones were a little more laid back. Of course, they always tended to be in the summer. So everybody was more relaxed, but, uh, but that SPAC show just for the music was incredible. And then my other one was, was 1985 at uh, that, actually that same show in Riverbend because the music was in Burbank in Cincinnati, Mm the,
2: uh,
1: the music was just so incredible. And Jerry played a cryptical envelopment into comes a time that still, I'm fairly sure. And I don't think it was the drugs that I was floating two feet off the ground the entire time, because it was just incredibly beautiful. Mm. That uh, comes a time has always been one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And that was great. And then another one was one of the early Alpine Valley shows. I'm going to say it was 84, but I'm not positive. And I'd been waiting and waiting to hear a live Terrapin station, which I hadn't heard. And I was on the lawn and all of a sudden Jerry started those first few cards of Terrapin. And I can remember jumping straight up in the air. And I am not a particularly athletic person. So that was a pretty big jump in the air and i can remember looking over and i saw this guy just had seen me and was just laughing in the in the kindest way and we exchanged looks like he completely understood and that again was one of those things about a dead show is You had that camaraderie with people you didn't even know, but who immediately would know the emotional impact that whatever was having on stage was having with you.
0: Yes, I know that feeling too. I remember one time I had my eyes closed and was just dancing like a crazy woman. And at the end of that, the sort of, you know, jam that was making me dance like that. And I open my eyes and I look over and some guy had just stopped as he was walking by. And when he saw me look, he was just gave me this big thumbs up. Like, you know, I just had to stop in my tracks and watch you throw down. And then he just (laughs) moved on his way. You know, and it was just so fun to be acknowledged for, you know, just having been completely in the moment
1: that's it those kind of connections for me are what what really you know that's what warms my heart and really makes the grateful dead experience what it is
0: totally so um we were just sort of following your chronology here of your story and of course we do get to a point where everything comes to a screeching halt um and i wondered if you Uh. wanted to reflect on hearing about jerry's death and what that experience was like.
1: Oh, what what a day. I think, I mean, certainly for all of us, that was a tough one. I I was working as an administrator as a, at a hospital at that point and was in my office just any other, you know, August day. And I got a call from my father, which was a little odd to begin with, that he would call me at work. And he said, um, I was just watching the news and I wanted you to know that grateful dead guy you like has died. Mm. And I said, "What?" And and I wasn't believing him. And I and I made him repeat it a few times. And I, you know, and then first of all, I had to figure out which guy it was right. of all the guys. And he got finally got the name Jerry Garcia. And I kept saying, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" And I could tell he was going wow, maybe I shouldn't have called her at work to tell her this. <laughs> my poor dad, I, you know, he was, I think he was trying to do a nice thing, not realizing the emotional impact it was going to have.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: can I can remember, you know, thank, calming him down, so letting him know, no, I'm fine, keeping it together, getting off the phone with him, calmly going over, shutting my office door and completely losing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just just trying to sob as quietly into a Kleenex as possible and the next thing I know I I opened the door and my assistant kind of looks up at me and she could tell something was going on and I you know told her I had only had one meeting that afternoon and I went home (laughs) yeah I just stayed home and it was this is when you you wish you had had the internet a few years earlier because here we are in 1995 and you know yeah there was some computer stuff out there, but certainly nothing I was hooked into. And I can remember just turning on CNN and every half hour, they would have the same little two or three minute report on it. And it took me a few times. And then by late afternoon or the evening, the calls started coming in and everyone was sharing their pain, sharing their shock, which is good because again, it's a community, and if there was ever a time, you know, that people needed each other and needed the shoulders, uh, that was it. But yeah, it that was just it was it was hard to believe, and I mean, even though all of us certainly knew that Jerry had issues, he'd had his coma in '86 and had you know all bad health problems. It it that was a, a kick in the gut like no other that was that was uh that was a hard one because you knew there was no coming back from it it was awful when brent passed mm-hmm. um brent midland passed but it, that that i knew we could get through and i knew the music would take another turn it had made it through losing Pigpen. pen it had made it through losing keith that you know we we could survive that and get by with that but once jerry was gone you knew things were going to change and yeah indeed they did
0: it's interesting the story about your father calling because that's part of what i remember about it too is that jeff's mother called us about it and and you know of course she knew that this was something jeff cared about the same way your dad did but she didn't care about it you know it was so clearly like just a motherly concern to you know reach out to her son and say you know i heard about this terrible news
2: that's um, a into-
0: so that that intrigues me
1: yeah, that's a good parenting clearly that uh, right. even if they may not have understood the music they they liked it. i can remember playing for my folks once this was very early on when i was still in college and was just going to my first shows and and they of course heard grateful dead and being the good uh son and daughter of preachers like they both were, they thought, Oh my gosh, what is this horrible devil music you're getting into? What is it? And so I tried to explain, you know, where the name The Grateful Dead had come from and how it was very much, you know, related to the kindness of strangers and that whole cycle of old stories. And then I played them some of American beauty, some of the more mellow things mm-hmm. like Ripple and and, you know, I remember my dad going, okay, this is all right. I guess it's not that bad. So I think I had them, con- you know, had them convinced that, okay, this was not, you know, I was not losing my soul to Satan or anything by going right. to these shows. <laughs> so it 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 was, it, in a way, it was nice that uh that i heard that from my dad it was certainly easier than hearing it on the radio in a car somewhere which you know i've heard the story of many others hearing it that way
0: yes yeah okay well let's take a quick break once i had a girlfriend
2: she meant the world to me she went down to deep ellen now she ain't what she used to be oh sweet mama
0: So then um there was some some quiet time but then you you kind of reconnected with further is that right
1: that is oh for, further is you know next to the dead very near and dear to me dave and i had certainly gone to shows between 95 and 2009 wow it sounds like such a long stretch of time but but honestly not that many we saw a number of Phil and Friends shows we saw a couple of Rat Dog shows um, we went to the other ones when they did the other ones touring festivals and those were coming around with with you know multiple bands involved and that and they were all good i mean anytime you see bob it's a good thing anytime you see phil it's a good thing but it it at least to me none of those shows had that community feel it just it didn't feel the same as it had with the dead
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then all of a sudden in 2009 actually i don't think i was even aware of them until 2010 bob and phil got back together and formed further with some other amazing musicians and i i had a buddy that said hey you've really got to start listening to this and i'm like oh yeah you know okay I listen to the other ones I listen to rat dog i guess i'll check it out And I started listening and I was like, oh, hey, this is Bob and Phil together. Okay, the drummers aren't there, but this sounds really good. And this John Kadlachek guy is just Mm -hmm. amazing. You know, I I had been aware of Dark Star Orchestra, which is where John Kay came, you know, came from, but hadn't really I had I think, frankly, I had an attitude about them that they did not deserve and so didn't go see DSO a lot. And all of a sudden, you know, was just so impressed by further and conveniently my husband and I had just retired shortly before that and we were kind of trying to figure out Okay, what do we do next. And we heard further, and all of a sudden it was 1980 revisited. We were going back to shows again. All of our traveling became related to heading out to Colorado. I finally, having missed it with the dead, got several re- or a couple of res- uh, Red Rocks oh, runs good. by Further, which were amazing. And then the other thing that Further did for me that was brand new was got me into the internet and social media. I must admit I had never gotten onto MySpace. I was never and still am not on Facebook. And so that that whole world was not, you know, was 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 unknown to me. Well, then further was scheduling a summer tour for 2011 and they didn't have any Midwest spots. And I was annoyed. So (laughs) I went on and I discovered there was this place at the further website called the further forum that was started up in, I believe it was March of 2011, actually a, a good year and a half after the band had already been going, but Phil had set up this forum for folks that, that enjoyed further. And so I went on there and I created a, a name for you know I created a username for myself and went on, and left this paragraph long, really gripey, snotty post about why the heck doesn't the band come to the Midwest? Don't they care about us? Don't they know how many heads are out there? And promptly got jumped on by a bunch of people saying hey you can drive to a show if you like it that much and you know and then another half that went hi how are you yeah we feel your pain they're not coming here
0: i love how your first like foray into social media was to get on there and bitch about something
1: (laughs) (laughs) i tell you if anybody found that i was kind of glad the forum no longer exists because that was not a particularly happy little entry for me But then I looked, you know, started looking around the site a little more. I was greeted. I, I had one guy that I am still dear friends with, and he is twenty five years younger than me. He was one of the, and that was that was part of the n- neat thing about Further is we had folks on the Further forum that were literally from sixteen to sixty five, mm-hmm. which was wonderful to see that age spread. And so this nice guy that I think at that point must have been, you know, in his mid 20s said, don't worry about it. I will make sure you get to a show if I have to drive you there. And, you know, I I think he must have thought I was in a little bit worse shape than I was. If I have to wheel you in, we will get you to show. And it was like, well, okay, no, no, I I can walk. I can still dance. But just the kindness that Mm. all of a sudden was starting to spill out from these people brought me right in and uh and the further forum was a was just a really neat group we had we actually had a flag that we developed and it would go from show to show and people would all meet up and we'd have you know group pictures with the flag we'd have tailgate parties before the show and it was just a very very much a family and all of a sudden I had that Grateful Dead community feeling back with further. And it was, those were priceless years. So from 2000, oh gosh, it was only 2011 through 2014. Their last shows were the Mexico Paradise Waits Run, which was a lot of fun. Um, But those few years was just, was wonderful. That really sort of brought me back into the Grateful Dead.
0: I love that that the result was maybe even a more real sense of community than before because these were people you were communicating with in between shows, right? And then meeting up in person. Is that what you're describing?
1: Absolutely. It it was very much a community that that rather than just being at Shows and seeing each other there, and maybe having the occasional phone call in but or letters. I can remind remember, remember writing actual us. mail letters back and forth with uh, with some of my dead friends. All of a sudden, you could do it in real time and on the internet, have frequent communication easily. And plus meet up. And then of course we were also getting cell phones at that time. Uh So I'm sure you remember Steph, how hard it used to be before cell phones to meet somebody at a show. Right. And try to figure out how you were going to make that connection. Well, you know, again, just the modern technology really helped. And the other thing that, that the modern technology had allowed was couch tour. In other words, listening to the shows from home and This was with further for the first, those few years, this was even before they were starting to have webcasts or at least a lot of them, but that we would have one of two things. Either we'd have somebody with simply a cell phone holding it up in the air for the whole show. And I have done wow. both ends of that, which is an interesting experience.
0: You mean you've been a holder of the phone? I have
1: been a holder of the phone and have have streamed shows from my phone on on multiple occasions, actually, including from Mexico, which was interesting.
0: Wow, and, but
1: um, this is just the audio, right? Uh, correct, correct, okay. just audio. And then everybody on the forum would get together and we'd all be listening and chatting during the show to whatever was streaming. And then the other nice thing was it even got a little more high-tech because the tapers, instead of just taping, started streaming. Mm -hmm. And that was nice because, you know, the phone streams could vary from barely listenable to actually surprisingly good for that low-tech a device. But then when the tapers started doing some streaming for further, that was nice because you really got, I can't quite say it was soundboard quality, but it was very close to it. And that made the couch tour parties a whole lot of fun because you you really did feel like you were right there.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you told me about this because I guess I wasn't really aware that there were couch tours happening before there was this live streaming um, you know, that we've seen recently with Dead and Company. So that's very cool.
1: That was. And like I say, it was just a lot of fun because it made every show a party. It made tour fun, whether you were at the show or not. Right. And, uh, and again, just that community spirit was there again, which for me is what it's all about. So that was fun. And now we've got the webcast, which is, it's a double-edged sword, to be honest, because while it is amazing having the video and of course for, you know, fairly well, the, the reunion shows in 2015, that was priceless to Mm -hmm. be able to get all six of those, not have to travel to the West coast and deal with the crowds. And so it's, it's wonderful having the webcast, but now all of a sudden you've got, for instance, we've got 32 shows, this fall tour, well, 31 now that new Orleans has been canceled and it's thirty dollars a show for a webcast, several hundred for the the thing, and that that gets a little trickier because then you kind of have have a who can afford it, who can't, yes. which is very sure. very unpleasant. The good part is we still have some of those folks that are streaming, so I figure it's from the audience. I like to think the band and the other webcast providers are still good with that because it is certainly not the service they're providing but does allow everybody to listen so that's
0: good i didn't realize that was happening
1: there is still some of that happening you know for better or for worse uh you know in terms of at least copyright laws which i have great respect for but It is nice that there are still folks out there that, uh, you know, that are in the audience willing to share the music. Mm
0: -hmm. And now they're sharing them through this other forum that you are the administrator of, right?
1: (laughs) I am. We have a group or have a website. It's terrapinnation.net. And that was actually an outgrowth of the further forum. You know, the further forum was very active. We had 10,000 people and one of the, uh, is, that were registered there. And the moderator was a very, very good friend of mine named Bruce Wheat. And he did that just as a volunteer job. One of the folks that managed the website um, because he was a regular user had asked him to work as moderator. And we knew further was coming to the end of their run. They had the Paradise Weights in Mexico were going to be the last shows so we knew at some point the further website and undoubtedly the forum were going to no longer be in existence. So Bruce created a website. Uh, he got the URLs for terrapinnation.net and set up a website which we did not publicize until the day it was November of 2015. So actually almost a full year after further had already stopped touring. Um, They kept the forum going, and then one day I signed on, and it literally was gone. There was just a message on the web saying, "Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. We're no longer here." Mm. And that was quite a day because we had this website all set and ready to go, but we didn't have now any because we'd gotten no nos, had no way of contacting people.
0: Right? You didn't tell the ten thousand people, "Hey, exactly."
1: So. Luckily, we had, you know, there was Twitter and there was also a whole lot of phone numbers and emails that thank heavens both Bruce and I had to contact people and we were able to get a not nearly as many as I would have liked and I still there are folks out there from the further forum I still keep hoping will someday stumble on Terrapin Nation that I'd love to hook up with again But it it became again a very nice place. We've got about a thousand, just under a thousand members online in the community. Not all of whom are active. We've got you know probably a hundred that are active at any given time and want to get together at shows and you know are posting on a regular basis. Um, And uh, and so it's still successful. We've also got a uh, at Terrapin Nation on Twitter, and we tweet out set lists, we tweet out concert information, um, and uh, and we've got about 5,000 followers there. There are definitely many larger Grateful Dead communities out there, Deadheadland for one, the forum at dead.net, um, that have been around longer and are bigger, but I like to think that, that we're warmer. <laughs> and we're, we're a nice little corner of the internet where if you don't necessarily want a huge group of people. Um, you don't want a lot of trolls. We, I, I have to say, we're fairly strict on no politics, mm-hmm. and that has, I think, served us well. That was a, a tenant that that Bruce, the founder, set up. He had just seen politics on other boards not serve the community well and yeah. cause some real fights. And, uh, and so we have a no politics role. And that, again, like I say that I think that keeps things calm. And we don't, we, we don't tend to get a lot of jerks there. I don't know if we're just lucky or if we're just attracting the right kind of folks, but it, it really seems to be much more mellow than a lot of the other, uh, a lot of other internet websites.
0: Well that's good and especially since everyone's just there because they're fans of this band and you know want to have fun so
1: see that's it exactly I think and especially especially these days over the last three or four years, um, you know I, I think all of us have well I shouldn't speak for everyone but I think the world in general has gotten a little angrier a little harsher and for me it's just very nice to have this like I say, happy little corner of the internet where I know I'm not going to have to deal with any of that, where, you know, the, the biggest problem we have at the website right now is trying to figure out when our fantasy football league is going to draft that won't shut anybody out. So, uh, you know, that, that, I think makes a but It's just, it's a good group and that, Oh, and by the way, that is something else we have. We do have a number of sports fans. So we've got Fantasy Football League. We have an NFL Pick'em League that is free that anybody is uh, is welcome to join. Please tell your kind husband about that.
0: I will. And I will. We
1: get- yeah, we got a good prize this year. It's a nice dancing terrapin cap. So, uh, oh my
0: goodness.
1: So, anyway, I will welcome uh, you know, anybody in their family is, uh, is welcome to join in that. So, we spread out a little bit from the music stuff and get into that. We certainly celebrate people's accomplishments, whether it's marriages or births or anniversaries and, uh, I'd get into like I say the the positive topics, and I think it helps get people away from the uh, the negative things.
0: Yeah, that's so valuable. I've it was it serves some of the same purpose that you know really you've been looking for and appreciating as a deadhead for going on forty years.
1: So that's it. So and then now I became administrator actually by default. The uh, Bruce Wheat, the founder sadly, suddenly passed away from a heart attack in um, December of 2015. So I just ended up taking over, which has been interesting because I am not, as we talked earlier, a tech person at all. I have a wonderful, wonderful man named Chris who had worked with Bruce on getting the website set up in the first place and getting everything going, dealing with the hosts. And we've got some custom programming and various things. Uh, so luckily, Chris can still keep the uh, the technical part of the website going. And... Uh, I'm keeping the the fun part, as I think of it, of the website going. And thank
0: you uh, for doing that. Oh,
1: thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, it is definitely a labor of love, and uh, and something that I truly enjoy. Like I say, this for me, since I am hardly working at all anymore, I, would, I still do a little bit of healthcare consulting. Um, for me, it's it's just been a good hobby, as it yeah. were. And again, you know, much of our travel is now focused around. Uh, is focused around, um, music, whether it's, whether it's further, whether it's dead and company, um, you know, whoever it's been over the last few years, that's really been where our travel uh, budget has gone. And I do not resent it at, uh, you know, or regret it one little bit. It's just, it's been some wonderful, wonderful times over the last 12 plus years doing that.
0: Oh, I'm so glad. And so just as to kind of wrap up what, when you look back on you know what if you went to your first show in 1982 you are coming up on your 40th anniversary of being a deadhead
1: next year I just it was August 7th was that Alpine Valley 82 show so I I commented boy next year it's going to be the big 4-0 That's which
2: right.
1: which is shocking because again I can still you know I I can still remember so clearly the feeling I got at that very first show and you know, it, it in many ways is still there. With Further It Came Back, there's still moments listening to Dead and Company where it's still there. I, the one thing Further Didn't Have that Dead and Company has that I love is the drums.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: having Mickey and uh, and Billy there playing again, that is that's just a whole lot of fun.
0: It sure is. So how would you sort of reflect on, you know, what being a deadhead has meant to your your way of life, the, the person you are when you're just at home or, you know, working or whatever, do you feel like there's something about this experience that kind of feeds your existence more generally?
1: I think it does because it's, it's where I go for so many things. It's where I go for fun. It's where I go for solace in many ways. It's where I go for companionship. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's listening to the music is such a big thing. As I've said, our travel plans are basically around music now and it's, it's just a big part of my life. You know, I, I lo- I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing concert posters on my wall and I'm seeing, you know, if I went downstairs, I don't even want to admit the wall full of cassette tapes that are still there. <laughs>
0: that's
1: great and and again with the uh with terrapin nation it's uh it's it's also hobby as well as fun so and i also think just the just the having music as a center as opposed to when i i tend to be a politics junkie sometimes and having the music to go to, to get away from that other piece of life, Mm -hmm. get onto the forum or as Phil, you know, when you get confused, just listen to the music play is Mm -hmm. been a real, uh, something I really cling to because it is true. If things are bad, whether it's a little thing or big things, I can escape into that music and come back away feeling energized. And I have never walked away from a concert be it Grateful Dead, be it Further, be it Dead and Company, and not felt good, not felt re-energized. The the dead especially, that was during my working years. And I was a nurse, which was a, you know, needless to say, a a fairly stressful job. And I I referred to it as going to church when we would go to a dead show, because it just, it was, it was restorative, it was re-energizing. And I, in many ways, I almost feel like I needed that just to keep going to cope it -hmm. was uh it was it was the best way to make life good again when things were tough and even though it's not always concerts these days i think the music is always still there as you know as both the comfort as fun as whatever i need it to be at the moment
0: i love that the best way to make life good again that's a good summary well, Sue, that was most of the things I wanted to talk with you about. Is there anything else that you would want to share? It's,
1: no, I just I really appreciated the chance to talk to you about this. You know, we've certainly been talking about the dead over the years, but not in quite this much a focused way. And I, I do think to some degree, women's experiences may be somewhat different than men's with the dead. Um, but if nothing else, it's just good to talk to other women about that. So I think yeah. this whole podcast series is going to be great. And I appreciated the chance to come and talk to you about it. And again, I'd like to encourage folks to mm-hmm. come and join Terrapination.net if you enjoy the music and want some folks to talk to that also enjoy the music and are basically just a very good, kind group of people so and again terrapin nation.net
0: oh i talked over you terrapinnation.net. hopefully maybe we will get you a few more people to join that part of the community
1: that would be good and you can if, you, if you're not a chatter and don't or not a joiner you can always just follow us on twitter
0: there you go thank you so much sue
1: uh thank you
0: stephanie deadhead girl talk is produced by steph terrace that's me with my audio engineer liam Cadel. Our awesome original music is performed by Sally Van Meter, Casey Groves, and Abigail Washburn, and engineered by Eric Wiggs. Art for the show is created by Lisa F. Armstrong and by Sparkles Kate. You can follow us on Twitter at Deadhead Talk.